bonfires burning bright, funky faces in the night. I remember Halloween, dead cats hanging from poles, little dead around in droves. I remember Halloween. Rounded vertigo, with skeleton life is known. I remember Halloween this day, anything goes, burning bodies and from poles. I remember Halloween. Welcome to Without Your Head Horror Radio, and we're joined by F. Paul Wilson. Welcome to the show. Oh, glad to be here. How are you doing? Oh, doing fine. Ten fifteen and uh, my time here on the East Coast. Right. I think it's ten fifteen for all of us here. That's back at ten twenty. Oh, yeah. Stickler for uh, details there. <laughs> yeah, we don't trust any of those West Coast people. No. Let everybody know about your website right off the bat, uh, repairmanjack.com. You can find out all the information about uh, books, upcoming appearances, and everything. Yeah, and there's a, there's a really active uh, forum where uh, you know, a lot of uh, lot of conversation there, really interesting stuff, and a lot of good people. Mm-hmm. I really think it's a great website, but, and it's not necessarily because of me, but because of all the, uh, the people who participate in it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a great one, yeah. There's always stuff going on. Then you get the newsletter, too. So that'll tell you what's right. coming up and everything. Yeah, you I, can sign up for that there, too. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, you got the Repairman Jack uh, moving the works? Yeah, it's actually, finally, after 11 or 12 years, it, it finally seems to be uh, heading toward production. Uh, they they got a script that everybody likes, and they, they've now... Um, they, they send it out to, to a star, their number one choice of a star, and he wants to do it. And so it's a matter of, you know, the Beacon lawyers and the uh, the star's agent coming to terms. Uh, I think they will. Um, I think it's a good move for this guy. I, I'm not allowed to say who he is, but um, – I think it would be a, a really great move for him, and I, I think he probably knows that too. So I, I think they will come to a deal. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I, when he signed, then I can I can start talking about him. All right, so we won't try to uh, find out the dirt. Right now. <laughs> you can wheedle it out of me, but you know I'm, <laughs> I've been through this before. Let's liquor him up. We got a we got a call here, Goosey. 
You want to answer um, Paul Wilson? Do you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, I just wanted to get his thoughts on uh, the horrible movie. I mean, I know his book was really good, but the movie of The Keep was just horrible. I just wanted his thoughts on it. <laughs> I'm in perfect agreement with you. Um, and I have, I have, the movie was 83. That makes it 24 years that I have whined about this movie. Um, and, cause it really, it really sucked. And, and Michael Mann knows it sucked. And he doesn't, uh, he doesn't mention it anymore. Um, when you, whenever he has a new movie come out, they, you know, they give a list of his past accomplishments. And somehow the key is, you know, conspicuous by its absence. And, um, he actually, I understand he submitted a three hour cut. And uh, he'd gone so far over budget with his, um, his really excessive. I mean, uh, look, um, I was at Shepherd Studios watching some of the filming. And there was one scene there. It was probably three, four, at the most five seconds on screen. Whole afternoon spent take after take after take. It was, I mean, I, this is this is my book. This, they were making a movie out of my book. There's a scene right out of my book, and I was bored out of my mind. I finally <laughs> In contrast, you know, Pelts, my short story that was made for uh, Showtime. Master yeah, for Horror. Master of Horror uh, and directed by Dario Argento. Um, he's used to working on a low budget. Mm-hmm. Two takes, maybe three, and then it's bang, bang, bang. And then we're <laughs> off to another setup. And and it was so refreshing to watch <laughs> some, some actual momentum in, in making a film. So, you know, it's a, a lot of it, you know, is indulgence, you know, and, and, and man was, was very, you know, self-indulgent on, on that film, and he ran out of money, and he wanted more money for, for special effects to finish, you know, to finish them, and it was like a curse move that the Hawaii Beavers, the special effects guy, you know, died during production. Um, so, and, and Paramount said, no, no more money. <laughs> Give us a, a, a cut less than 100 minutes, and we're going to go out with that. And so they knew it was going to change. And um, guess what? It did. <laughs> yes. Okay. It was a horrible, awful, awful movie. The experience, though. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Lyons said it best. He said, you know, it, it could have been wonderful, but it fell apart under the weight of its own pretensions. And... And that says it all, really. And, and that's, that says, you know, the Michael Mann experience. He's mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah, I think, Go ahead. Oh, I, I think, well, wasn't Ian McKellen in that movie? Yes, Ian McKellen. There was yeah, Scott yeah, Glenn, yeah. <laughs> Gabriel Byrne, um, Jürgen Prochnow. I mean, a fabulous cast. Yeah. Yep. It should have been, as he said, it should have been wonderful. Yeah. And it's never been released on a DVD. No. Apparently, Michael Mann has um, gained some kind of interest in 
in the film. I mean, he was, he was just a writer-director, but somewhere along the line, and maybe he bought into it or something. But if, if you want to do anything about the keep nowadays, you must go to him. And it's amazing. When I, I wrote the, uh, the graphic novel for the keep, and uh, that was my version of what the movie should have been like. Mm-hmm. Um, I got one email, phone call, whatever, after another, saying, is this, you know, is this available? Can be made into a film? And blah, blah, blah. A lot of people didn't even know it had been. And then I said, oh, yeah, well, yes and no. You know. And then they would look into it. And then they would find out they had to deal with Michael Mann, and everybody would just walk away. Mm-hmm. No one wants to deal with this guy. <laughs> Well, gra- yeah, I'll say the graphic novels are popular now to uh, to make into uh and make into films. Oh yeah, I, I but I did it just because right. I want I want to show if I had done the screenplay and been in charge, this is what you would have seen. Mm-hmm. I've read that you're a fan of EC Comics. Um, there, would you ever want to do more comic books besides like the, the one graphic novel? Oh, um, Tom Monteleone and I have been shopping around a, uh, a series of graphic novels. Um, it's been in and out of different uh, different companies. No one will turn it down. <laughs> no one will make an offer. Um, so, but I, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of highbrow. It has a lot to do with epistemology and things like that. So maybe, maybe it's, it's, it's not right, but you know, I, 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 it's a story I would love to tell, but, um, you know, you, you need someone to, to make it worth your while because, uh, you can't write it for nothing. Right. So, I, I think that'd be great. Though. I'd love to see like, like an F. Paul Wilson, Bernie Wrightson collaboration. Oh, I mean, I would too. He's one of my favorite artists. Yeah. And, um, it, 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 it's, it's very strange in, in, in this business that, you know, I, I was, uh, out at Dave Scout's house and, um, he was having a little party and, and I find myself standing next to Bernie Wrightson who I'd never met. And, uh, it, it was, it was really cool to be, uh, to be able to talk to a guy that, whose art I've seen. And he's really, you know, well, everybody really is a regular guy. You know, if you get them in the right, you know, circumstances. And you know, he so he wasn't being Bernie Wrights in the artist, he was just being the guy at a party. And so it was, it was great. Uh you mentioned pelts. What was your uh opinion on the final um the final product? Um for the Masters of War. Well you know, it was in, in the long run it was true to the, the sense of the story. Mm-hmm. Um it was it was far more gory than a story, and it, it, it mm-hmm. is the goriest story I have ever written. <laughs> um, and the Matt Bain screenplay was um, pretty close to the, to the story. He had to pad it out with that uh, that lady in the woods to, mm-hmm. to bring it up to fifty five minutes, um, and then. Gario got a hold of it, and he really upped the gore factor. And my big thing, and uh, Gario and I rode back and forth to the uh, the remote, you know, the, the site, the, the farmhouse site, in, in the same car. And he doesn't speak much English, and he had a translator with him, so it was hard to really get across to him. But 
you know, I, I kept pounding on the fact that in the story, nobody gets what they want. You know, the, the, the trappers don't get the money they thought they'd get. Um, Jake doesn't get the girl. Um, nobody gets what they want. And in his version of, of the screenplay, Jake gets what he mm-hmm. wants. And, and I said, well, look, we both can have what we want here. You know, um, Jake can, can think he's, he's going to get Shanna. And at the very last moment, you know, he goes limp. He says, I've wanted this for so long, and here it is. I can't get it. <laughs> that would be really frustrating, and I thought that would be kind of cool. Right. You know, Jake wanted, I mean, Dario wanted Jake to get Shanna in that particular way, and so he did. Right. Are we happy with, um, with, uh, Meatloaf in the movie, um, the TV show? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, at first I said Meatloaf. I mean, he can, this is supposed to be like a Jewish guy, you know, that, mm-hmm. and, and I don't see, I don't see, you know, Meatloaf playing this, uh, New York furrier, you know, yeah. but, but he was, he was, I, I thought he was good. And, um, when I wasn't riding around with Dario, I was riding around with Meatloaf and, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's just, he's just sort of this icon, you know, with, with, you know, bad out of hell and all that. Mm-hmm. And you're riding around with him and he's got to have diet Coke. And, <laughs> He sends the driver on this quest, you know, and then we're all in the car. We have to have, we have to have Diet Coke. And so finally, we find this little, this little Canadian Vancouver strip mall. And I mean, it's really pathetic. And he's out there wandering up and down in his, his raincoat looking for Diet Coke. And I'm saying to the driver, I'm saying, it's like, it's like being with your eccentric uncle who <laughs> would have to have Diet Coke. And he found some, and he was the happiest could be, you know, and then he would take it to his trailer, and in between the takes, he'd go back to his trailer and drink his Diet Coke. He was just like, you know, meatloaf. He's going to be snorting cocaine. He's going to be doing right. all that stuff. No, no. No, no. He's hooked on Diet Coke. <laughs> I kind of ruins my life, you know, my fantasy of the guy. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's the way it is. Any interaction uh, with uh, John Saxton on the shoot? No, I only, I only met him in makeup, you know. Mm-hmm. He was in makeup. I mean, I just said a few words to him. That was it. Because as I was leaving, I could only stay about three days. That's all I could, uh, time I could afford away. And so his parts, um, we're coming up toward the end of the of, of the location shoot. After that, I, when I got there, I had this you know, email, not email, um, voicemail on my hotel phone from Mick Garrett saying, "Oh, you know, we're shooting the strip club scenes. You know, we're right around the corner from the hotel. So come on, you know, give me a buzz and we'll go over there and we'll we'll, you know, we'll watch the strip club scenes." But of course, you know, I broke my finger dialing, and I, <laughs> he didn't. He didn't answer. I couldn't get a hold of him. And finally, the next day, he said, oh, he said, yeah, well, you finished them before you came. <laughs> but I really would have loved to have seen them. But, you know, timing is everything, as we said. Uh, someone here in our chat room, uh, as moral, uh, do you have any... Oh, Tony. 
Oh, you know that person? Oh, okay. Yeah. Do you have any? He's one of our uh, our original website guys. Oh, cool. No one knows. Do you have uh, as a writer? Do you have any rituals? Like keep certain items at your desk while writing. Uh, mm, not really. I mean, I I get up early. I have my coffee. I bring it up to my desk. I go to the website. I go to the uh, the email related to the site. I go to my personal email. I go to astronomy picture of the day. I go to overheard New York, and then uh, start writing. Once all that's out of the room. Okay. And of course, you have uh, without your head open on the. Uh... Oh yeah, so, yeah. and uh, ever since I've heard of you guys recently, yeah, <laughs> that's right there too. Yeah, of course. Did you have a question? Yeah, I, I hadn't heard of oh. you guys, so you contacted me. Oh, okay. Well, we've yeah, only been doing it for a year. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, Troy is the uh, he does all the artwork on the sleeve. That was pretty good. I, I like my picture there. I right, well, like the card too. That's all of that. All the stuff that's coming out of my typewriter there. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Did you have a question there, Troy? Um, uh, actually, um, he wants to know where you came up with the idea for the Rakosh. Um, well, I, it's not really my idea. Um, the Rakoshi is, uh, a, a variation of the, uh, the Rakshasa, which is a, a an Indian demon. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I came up, I mean, I, I was looking for something. And this is back in the days. This is, we're talking the early 80s. And I wanted, well, I'd had a dream where I was on a rooftop and there was something chasing me. And no matter what I did, I couldn't escape it. Even if I fooled it into jumping over the edge, it would climb back up. Just, I mean, nothing I could do could defeat it. And I woke up in a, in a sweat and I said, you know, man, i got to use this. This is, this is nerve-wracking. And so... I had to come up with a hero who could survive that, which turned out to be Jack. And the other thing I was, what the heck was this thing? Because it really had no identity uh, in the dream. And so I, I searched high and low for something that no one had ever heard of, and or very few people had ever heard of. Mm-hmm. And um, and this is the day, this is long before Google. This is, you know, going into libraries and, and, sh- and, you know, flipping through those little cards. And I finally found this thing called the Demons of Rajpur by the, the Bang Sisters. And it was really, it was Bengali. I think the Bengali uh, version of the Rakshasa was Rakashi. And um, Rakash, actually, I made the plural into Rakashi. That was my own thing, but... Um, the Rakash was their version of the Rakshasa. And so I said, oh, this is great. Hardly anybody's ever heard of this. They were shape-shifting demons. And I said, I don't want to get into shape-shifting, so I'll just, you know, forget about that. Because mm-hmm. uh, that was a can of worms I did not want to open. And so that, I, I came up in the, the, it was actually the Bang Sisters book that put me onto this. And in my mind, the Rakashi, my Rakashi, are the real world inspiration. You know, I mean, all myths spring from something. Mm-hmm. All the Rakshasa myth, uh, Indian, Indian Rakshasa myth, uh, sprang from the Rakash. 
Okay, well, I look at it. The only time I had ever heard of him was in Dungeons and Dragons. That was like <laughs> the only place I had heard of him. Yeah, that was, I bet you that was after 1984. Hmm. Yeah. I will guarantee you from after 1984. <laughs> <laughs> no one had heard of him. Not even me. <laughs> well, one of our fans asked about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, they gave her a mouth there. You wouldn't know if you were a Dungeons and Dragons fan. And would you consider a role-playing system inspired by your works? Well, you know, there was a, uh, Mayfair Gannis put out a, a role-playing game of the Keep. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, it was licensed from, uh, uh, Paramount back in 80, 83, 84. Uh, Bill Fawcett, uh, uh, designed it. And it was, you know, I wasn't really into the role-playing, uh, board games. Mm-hmm. But the people who were, like Matt Costello, who I did a lot of work with, he said it was a damn good game. And he said it was, and I looked through the book, you know, the background, I said, man, this guy has done his homework. It was really, really good. And, um, so I, then, you know, Mayfair wanted to renew the license and, um, Paramount wanted so much, you know, ridiculous amount to Mayfair said, you know, I mean, this is, this movie, this movie flopped and, uh, you know, the game did okay, but, you know, it didn't do that. Well, then we're going to pay, you know, like a $20,000 licensing fee for this thing again. So, um, it went out of print. But it's, you know, everyone who, who's into that type of thing really liked it. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to eat it. Man Jack, I can't like <laughs> something like that because Beacon Films owns the uh, game rights. As a matter of fact, um, uh, Hideo, uh, Kochima, uh, is a big repairman Jack fan. He wants to do the game based on the movie. Oh, uh, he's just waiting for the script. Mm-hmm. Do you have another uh, question there, Troy? Um, well, can, can you tell us who's playing Abe in the movie, or you can't tell us like any <laughs> of the actors? Well, no, the thing is, they've got to get the star. Oh, okay. And, so that's um, the first one. That, that's number one. And once he's done, um, you know, then they go for the director. And after that, then they, they'll go for the rest of the cast. But, uh, you know, Jack has to be signed. And I hope, you know, it will be, you know, sometime in, in May. Um, you know, but I've seen, I've seen negotiations with, you know, lawyers and agents go on forever. So. I just, I, I think it, it's going to be a good move for this guy to, to play Jack, so I'm, I'm hoping, you know, just, they don't really, you know, make a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our fans, Susie, wants to know, why is Jack in Nightworld ignorant of things he should know about from his adventures in the Repairman Jack books? Susie? Yes. It is? Yes. Well, Susie, uh, Nightworld was written like 92, and the second Repairman Jack novel was written in 97. So I had no intention of writing more in Repairman Jack novels when I wrote that. Um, so that's why, because I had it, it wasn't planned. However, the uh, revised Night World, which is available for an exorbitant price from uh, uh, Borderlands Press, is brought up to date and. You know, Jack knows all the things he should know in that one. 
But that's what happens when you write the end of a series before you finish writing the series, because you had no <laughs> idea you were going to write a series. Right. This is kind of what we deal with. Mm-hmm. Uh, As also wants to know. Um, uh, but by the way, someone's trying to call with a unknown number. We cannot take those. If uh, you want to call, in, it's five zero eight six four four eight five zero three. Once the Jack franchise runs its course, are there any other franchise characters you'd like to go back and revisit? Maybe a key prequel. <laughs> this is an ongoing question on the website. They, 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 they love to bug me with this. The key prequel. Um, yes, I would love to do a key prequel, but um, I, I have to finish the Jack novels first. And uh, though I would love to flesh in, and right now I'm doing a young adult uh, series of, of him and Jack as a teenager before he really knows, you know, he really learned his stuff. And he's just feeling his way and, and starting to learn how to do these fixes. And um, I, I first one, and my the editor there loves it, and I absolutely love it. And I um, I can't wait till it comes out. And But there's also the, there's the period between the time Jack arrived in New York and the tomb. And you know, how he learns the ropes and all that kind of stuff. So, that, you know, there's a lot of possibilities out there. I don't know if we're going to live long enough to write them, but, it's, you know, I figured I have about four or five more books before Nightworld. And then, you know, I'm not going to drag this on forever because, um, you know, it, it's not an open-ended series. And I, I don't want to drag it into dirt. You've all read series where... You know, the author has just kept the characters going too long. I think, as much as I like Spencer, you know, I think Robert Parker has just taken him too long. And it's just, you know, let him go. Let him go. Stop repeating yourself. Stop trying to rewrite, you know, the, the Magnificent Seven. Just let it go. Just say goodbye. Uh, you know the caller here? Who is this? Yeah, my name's Ken. Hi, you're on with uh, Paul Wilson. Do you have a question? Yes, I do. Um, he wrote a book called Peter. And it turned two people, uh, one of them was Cindy that actually, uh, connected with the human that that was, a uh, part of an adult. And, uh, they ended up... Uh, you know what, I, I, I hate to inter- I hate to interrupt you, but I'm really having a hard time hearing you. Yeah, is, can you speak up, please? Yes, I'm sorry. No problem. Okay. Um, I was just curious, because they lived for so long, hey, did he ever plan on writing another book about Dalton Pollard? Because he kind of left it a little bit open-ended. I mean, that they would just keep living on. I was just curious if he was at, had ever planned on writing a, another book on that one. Yeah, he's referring to um, some of the first fiction I published back in the 70s. Um, I had two characters. and it, The first novel was called Healer. And two characters. One was a human being, and the other was sort of a parasite that seeped into his brain. And didn't take over his body in the in the sense that he controlled him, but out of pure self-interest, this creature, which my guy named Pard because they became partners, um, out of pure self-interest, he kept uh, the human being alive by being conscious down to the cell, cellular level. And when anything went wrong in the cell, 
like a mutation again, it would have turned into a tumor, he killed it. And he fixed this, and he fixed that. So in a sense, the human became, his name is Stephen Dalton, he became immortal. Um, and I thought that maybe I'd carried that as far as I could go. I, um, I, I don't know, I don't know if I'll ever revisit that. I mean, it, Unless I come up with an idea that's really worthy, it's not something that I, I just don't want. I mean, people want me to go back to those guys. And I had a lot of fun with them. But unless I can do something that's really going to take it into, you know, new territory, I don't want to keep rehashing the whole, you know, the same thing over and over again. Well, that's true. I appreciate your time. Uh, and, and, you know, and, and, uh, and that's not going to do any... I'm not going to do anything for you either as a reader if I, if I sort of drag a character down just to write another story about him. So it, it, it's, and that's why Jack, you know, I, I, I'm not going to keep Jack going forever. I'm, I'm going to just let that series stop and because I'm very proud of it and I'm very proud of that whole adversary cycle thing. I do not want to sully it with something that I'm doing just to do another book. Right. And I also understand that you always write books because you felt like you have the, you feel the need to write them at that time, too. So I was just thinking. Yeah, that's been a problem, if I, if I, if I'm, if I'm correct about what you're talking about for me is career-wise, is, um, I, you know, I made a point of writing the next book. No matter what it was. And I, you know, and, Anybody who's out there who's a writer um, with a career will understand what I'm saying. When I say that's not always the best thing to do, uh, market-wise. Right, they had a hard time classifying you. Exactly, and probably if I go back, there were certain books I would do under another name uh, because they just didn't fit into the cycle of you know what people were expecting of me, right. and. And I think that would have yeah, be better for my career that way. But you know, I've done okay, and so I'm not going to I'm not going to you know moan about it. But you know, there are career choices you can make nowadays. I was just talking to a young author to, oh, was it yesterday, and just saying that you know she's got this um, sort of a, a horror novel that 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 couple of publishers are interested in which is a nice place to be if you're an author. <laughs> and But she also wants to do this mystery series. And it's an interesting concept on the mystery series. But I said, you know, it may not be a good idea to put the same name on both of those because, you know, mystery writers don't necessarily like you know, the supernatural or the, that type of horror. And the horror writers don't like the uh, the cozy type mysteries. And so she's a versatile writer, and I think she can she can do both. But you know, and I said talk to your agent about it. But you know, this is my advice: is do my different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks for calling, Ken. Do you have anything else? Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Just All right, my, I'll tell them high on the board. All right, thanks for calling, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, someone here in the chat room required. Uh, they want to know: Will the revised AC be released in paperback? Eventually, yes. Um, the thing is, it has to be timed right. Um, the touch, or I mean, the keep and the tomb are already out. 
the touch can probably be fit in there anyway. Um, we wouldn't would follow the touch, but I would hold off on reprisal because reprisal will be right before the last Jack novel, which will lead into Night World. So, you know, things happen in reprisal, which will trigger the final events that trigger Night World. So there'll be one repairing Jack novel between reprisal and Night World, and I'd like to get the timing right. So I've been holding back and reprinting mm-hmm. those books. Uh, when you, earlier when you talked about uh, researching stuff about the Rikoshi, um, is that something you would recommend to writers instead of uh, like recycling the same things like you, the vampires and werewolves and uh, zombies to go back and maybe try to find some other kind of uh, creature you could write about? Some oh, kind of legend? That, there's that. I mean, I, I want an historical perspective, so that's why I went looking for what I did. You're much better making up something. Mm-hmm. Um like, as I said, this writer I was talking to yesterday, she, she's come up with something completely different and completely creepy. And it's, it's not based on anything that, you know, vampires, werewolves, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it, it's not terribly complicated, but the thing is, um, I haven't seen it before, and because of that, I was, that made the book fascinating to me. And that, you know, that's got me behind it. That's why I gave it a blurb and stuff like that. I don't do that that often. But it was, thinking about it now, it was so creepy. Yeah, this, this little, it turns out, to, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a little, little girl. It's a, a dirty little girl in a dirty dress, and she's, she's completely evil. And no one else can see her except this um, character. And yeah, it's it's really it's very chilling. So I mean, make up something. I mean, that's what this is all about: is making things up. Um, so many writers, you know, write one book, and then that's it. You know, mm-hmm. they, they never really write another one of, of any value, and that's because they've drawn on their own experience. And drawing on your own experience is fine to a degree, but the thing is, you know, you got to make shit up. You can't just, um, you can't just rely on your experience. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to have two books in your whole life, and then you're going to use up your experience. And what are you going to do? You're going to be it. That's going to be it. <laughs> so, um, I think the writers with the long track record are not the ones. Who, who write completely from experience are the ones who make stuff up. Mm-hmm. And then if you make stuff up, you can go on and on and on. If you don't, if you, you, you depend on your experience, you know, you're going to run out of experience. And, you know, Unless you've lived stop. a very bizarre life. Yeah, well, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> uh, actually, speaking of it, uh, Knight Rider, he wants to know, what are your thoughts on Stephen King? Stephen King? Mm-hmm. Um... I just saw him at the Mystery Writers uh, Awards Banquet, um, and we we show you know we know each other, but we're not we're not friends. Um, I don't have his his home phone number; <laughs> he doesn't have mine. But um, he looks terrible. Uh, <laughs> I say that you know I mean it just he is so so thin and and 
away from Bucky. And I said, you know, can I buy you a steak or something? <laughs> you you got to eat, man. <laughs> and, uh, but, um, I like his early stuff an awful lot. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite novels of all time, and it will never stop being one of my favorite novels, is Salem's Lot. And, um, but, you know, it's very uneven. I, I, I like his shorter works. I, I think he, you know, chews a lot more than he bites off. And my, my favorite works of his are like Misery and uh, Gloris Claiborne and things like that, that, you know, he's really tight, he's really focused, and he's not doing all this digressive stuff, you know, going off of these tangents. And, um, you know, that's my taste. I do not like, I mean, I like fiction that is focused and, you know, has a real narrative drive to it. I mean, I'm, I mean, that's what I try to write, and that's you know that's what I uh, that's what I like to read, and I and I think authors should should write what they like to read. So that's where you know that's where I'm coming from. So I don't mm-hmm. like the bookstop books, you know, the doorstop books. I like uh, I like the, the more focused books. Uh, Rogue wants to know: Was it a big decision on your part to give up your medical uh, practice full time to become a writer? Um, no. Um, at that time, I was making more money, far more money writing than I was in medicine. So the financial, there was no financial constraint. Um, and as for, you know, I mean, yeah, you know, you put up your hands and do that scale thing and you say, oh, okay, uh, here I am making more money. What do I choose? More money. And my own schedule, or on the other hand, uh, malpractice <laughs> and all that, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's a, oh, gee, this is a tough choice. But it really, of course, it isn't. But I, you know, the thing is, I couldn't give it up 100%. I mean, I, uh, there's a certain part of me that uh, I spent an awful part of, a big part of my life was invested. In, in medicine, and, you know, in family practice, there's this precious thing where people really trust you. They want to... I mean, kids I, I saw as infants are now bringing their kids to me. I mean, there's a continuity there that is so precious um, that... I can't, I really have trouble giving it up, uh, completely. And there are days, there are days when I say, Jesus Christ, why am I doing this? <laughs> um, and there are, but there are other days where I walk out of the office saying, uh, oh, this was great. I had a great day and, uh, I did some good. And that's one of the things that, you know, that, that medicine offers is that you can walk out of the office at the end of the day and say, you know, I did something good. When you're doing writing, you say, did, you know, did I, did I make a difference in anybody's life by writing this, this, this wonderful prose? And all my prose is wonderful. But it, did I, did I make a difference in anybody's life? You know, and you can't say. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I had, I've had people, you know, somebody brought up my, uh, my science fiction from the 70s and my, my novel, An Enemy of the State. I mean, I had more than one person come up to me and say, you changed my life with that book and which I hate to hear because 
in the old Chinese proverbs, I'm now responsible for that person's life. But in 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 reality, you know, in writing, you, you can't get that on a day-to-day basis. On a day-to-day basis, you you, you get your page count done. I mean, I do three a minimum of three pages a day, and that's how I keep up my input. But um, in medicine, I can walk out that door, as I said, and say, I did good. I done you done good, kid, and that type of thing. You ever use any of your uh, knowledge as uh, your medical knowledge in your uh, books? Oh yeah, all the time. Um, it's been a great help. I try. You know, I, at first I refused to write, you know, medical thrillers or anything like that because that would be like, you know, saying it works. Right. And you know, writing is my golf game. You know, if doctors, you know, have to, you know, have the cliche of the, the golf playing doctor. Well, you know. That was my golf game. Was was playing, you know, playing with the typewriter and the, and the computer. And so, I tried to write as far away from medicine as I could. But strangely enough, the you know, the biggest advance I ever had in my life turned out to be a medical thriller I wrote under. And this goes back to what I, I said that young writer is I've written it under another name. And by doing that, the you know, the publishers did not bring any of the baggage of my horror novels to this, because this was a different genre. And they just looked at this as the book itself. And they they threw a lot of money at it. So that's sort of been the case by my position there. Uh, Some also know, uh, why do a lot of your stories take place in the Pine Barrens? Because it's one of the most fascinating places on earth. And then the young adult, Kermit Jack Dallas, because he grows up on the edge of the Pine Barrens, really feature, really exploit the, the mystery of the Pine Barrens. And, um, I mean, it, it, it's a million, it's a million acres. Um, oh, two million acres, acres and something like a thousand square miles, whatever. But it's a huge, this huge expanse of wilderness right off the northeast corridor. And there are places there that no human being has laid eyes on. So it's full of mystery. You only have the you have the pioneers who are inbred. Um you have the the legend of the Jersey Devil. And really you have these hunters who walk in there every every uh hunting season. And are never seen again. So what happened to them? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's what, really what happened to them is it was an overcast day. They couldn't see the sun. They had no idea which was north or south. They wandered around in circles and starved to death or got dehydrated or whatever. So that's probably what, that's what. Huh. Rationally, that's what you think what happened. But I always think of the Jersey Devil. <laughs> There's also an excellent, uh, yeah, there's also an excellent um, episode of uh, Sopranos. Right. I mean, people realize... We still know what happened to that Russian guy. Yeah, but people know. People who know New Jersey realize this. And unfortunately, there was a lot of toxic dumping in there. Which, again, it's a great story, Father. But it is the the largest pure freshwater uh, aquifer in the Northeast. Because all the water in the pines 
flows out of the pond. So it's pure, pure water. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though it might be colored brown from the cedars and stuff like that, that's just pigment. The the water is pure. And uh, Wharton State Park exists because, you know, Wharton, the big Philadelphia billionaire, uh, bought up all this this, this uh, pine land to funnel the water into Philadelphia. He's going to sell it to Philadelphia. And Drew became ours at million miles. <laughs> and so the, the land became, you know, worthless. And so he turned it into a state farm. Uh, as Moral has another question here. Uh, tell us about Virgin finally being released under your own name. Well, Virgin was, actually, this is one of the, you know, again, writing things under another name. That medical thriller I mentioned a little while ago, mm-hmm. um, that was in the, the offing, and, you know, it's it just about to come out. And, I, once again, I wrote the next book, and the next book was this strange religious thriller about discovering the body of the Virgin Mary around the millennium, and, and what happened. Um, totally unlikely. It, just, it, was, it was out of left field, especially in regards to the... Um, you know, the medical thriller, and I said to my agent, I said, you know, I can't put this out there, but people who read The Select, and they, if they see the Virgin, and see Virgin, they pick it up and they'll say, ah, what is this? What's this guy thinking? This is not what I thought it would be. So, I, I put it under my wife's maiden name, Mary Elizabeth Murphy, and um, I blurbed it on the cover, and I dedicated it to myself. You know, I, I put, um, you know, was a, uh, I dedicated yeah, to my husband without whom this book would not have been possible. So it was, uh, and, it, and it was a paperback original, and it, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it sold whatever it had out there and, and disappeared. And so now, you know, it's finally this other publisher, the small press, has put it out as a um that's really, I, I, I really like the book. You don't have to be religious because I'm 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 a devout agnostic. And but the thing is if I can write about vampires being real like I did in Midnight Mail, if I can I can write about this woman being the mother of you know, the son of God. Right. Why not? I, I I just you just take you take the premises, you buy into them and just run with the story. And so, um, and I had great fun. I mean, I have a Catholic upbringing. I'm, I'm, re- I'm a recovering Catholic. <laughs> it's, um, well, John's a Catholic here. <laughs> oh, really? Is he recovering or is he real? I think he's real. Real? Well, I'm recovering. Uh, I had a Jesuit education. They taught me how to think, and I thought my way out of the church. So, um, but the thing is, I used, you know, all that, the stuff, if you go to Catholic school and you're raised a Catholic, things are imprinted in you. Um, images are imprinted in you. And I, you know, mo- most of us recovering Catholics can't get rid of them. So, I, you know, I, I put them to use in this story. And, I mean, I had a wonderful time with it, and I, I, I just loved the book. I, I look back on it, and I, I, I reread it for the Borderlands edition. 
And I said, no, I took it out of the millennial type of thing. But I really liked this book. And I was really happy to have it back in print. But I said, why not, you know, put it in my own name. And now they just, um, they did an expensive limited edition. But they now put it out in, in a, a paperback for sixteen ninety five, And, you know, the more people who read it, the better. I mean, I, I just, just, just go into it and it's, it's a religious thriller that's really anti-religious. <laughs> and, and at the end, I, <laughs> I really do a number on religions at the end as far, you know, physically and, and, uh, philosophically. Mm-hmm. So, um, so no matter what, you know, whether you're Muslim or, or you're a Buddhist or whatever, I think that there's something in there for you. Yeah. Do you have another question? That's, uh, do you have something to say, Troy? Oh, uh, um, I was wondering uh, why you always write, like, the best villains in your books. How do you do well, that? thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you always have the most interesting, and, like, they're all so different. They're all so varied. Well... I go, I, I, I start with the premise that nobody's all good and nobody's all bad. And so I, my heroes always have warts. I mean, there was some reviewer who just who reviewed the next repairman jackbook. Um, the limited edition is out, uh, I guess this month, but the, the trade edition won't be out for October. But he reviewed the, the limited edition. And, you know, Jack has, Jack has a beer, Repairman Jack has a beer stop. And, and he took him to task for that. Because, well, he, you know, Jack is this, this, this idealized type of thing for, um, libertarians and so on. And he should have this, you know, I don't know, he should, he shouldn't be, uh, judge someone by their taste in beer. Mm-hmm. And, the thing is, he's human. He he has he hates Budweiser and he hates Bud Light and he and he really has no respect for people who drink it. And so, is that is that right? Is that fair? No, but that's the way he is. And this guy couldn't get it. And that you know he, he thinks you know a character should you know personalize, personify an ideal. And I say no. A character is a human being, and we all have our prejudices. We all have our predilections, and so so go with it. That's the way people are. So I do the same thing with villains. Villains, they do bad things, but you know what? They're not all bad. They, they may still love their mother. They may still love their cousin. They may go out of their way to to. Their sister has Alzheimer's, and they may go and sit with their sister and then go out and kill somebody. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, you give them that other dimension that, you know, even, you know, I mean, who is, Hannibal Lecter is, is almost attractive for the purity of his evil. <laughs> but the thing is, he has a sense of honor. And really, Hannibal Lecter is, is drawn from Dr. Fumentia. And most people do not realize this. And most people don't know Dr. Fumentia. But I think Fumentia was this 
what we call a yellow peril back in the uh, the days of the pulps when everybody feared all these orientals but they weren't called Asians Asians they were called orientals um were streaming into America and they thought well they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna take over. They, they they've got some plot behind them. And so Sachs Romer invented Fu Manchu, who was the you know, the epitome of of, of, the, of that kind of fear. Um, but he gave him he made him honorable. Fu Manchu would put you know, a horrible millipede in your bed to, you know, the poisonous snake or whatever to kill you, you know, or a poison dart or whatever. But the thing was, if he gave his word, if he said, okay, you can go. Now, you know, we, we reached a deal, you can go. You could turn his back on him and, and walk away because he had that old world sense of honor, you know, that by breaking his word, he would diminish himself. And so that sense of honor, you know, raises him in, in the villain world. And that's the type of thing I always think of. There's got to be, and, and, and a lot of my villains are not honorable. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, they have a human side to them that, that, you know, they love their dog, they love their mom or whatever. And when you, when you do that, that's why, you know, someone's asking me this question, why my villains, villains so interesting? Mm-hmm. And that's why, because they're people. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, someone here just in our chat room made a comment. They said, uh, Rasselam is the best villain of all time, better than Darth Vader. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Darth Vader's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can we give it to Darth Vader? Rasselam is, yeah. And again, look at Darth Vader. Look at Darth Vader. Complex character. He has a good side. He wasn't the bad person we started off with. He became a bad person, and then, you know, he could have, you know, he, he could not let his son die. And so, I mean, that, that conflict, that yin and yang within people. Um, Rosalind, to tell you the truth, I, I don't think... Rosalind is, is pretty much pure evil. He has given himself over to the dark side, and he really doesn't have... A, I don't think he has a good bone in his body. I'm writing about him now in the next yeah. book, and I don't think I can't find anything good about him. No, but, not really redeemable qualities there. He's sort of evil personified, but he is he is he has, has aligned himself with something that's completely inimical to everything that you know humans like, and so he may have his weaknesses, but they're not because he's good. Uh, uh, I've just, just contradicted everything. <laughs> 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 All right. Uh, Raul Duke, he wants to know, uh, well, first he says, great interview. is a uh, favorite without your head show so far. Well, thank you. And uh, he wants to know, where was this question here? Uh, what advice would you give to aspiring writers? Well, the first advice is keep your day job. <laughs> the second, you know, next is write every single day. And the third thing is, I would say, I mean, keep, you, 
sometimes you need, and a lot of times, you, you need instruction. So, I mean, if there are workshops and things like that, you should you should go to them, and not so much. You should go to the. I mean, like, I'm sounding like an idiot here. Um, the first thing is, if you, if you if you need some help, if you think you you need to to work on on your writing, I mean, a lot of times these workshops. The little workshops are not good because you've got a lot of other people who are at your level of writing criticizing your writing. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that, what's happened with that, and a lot of times it will wear you down and a lot of times kill your enthusiasm. Um, I teach at the, the Borderlands Boot Camp every year, and but we're all professional writers and we're, and we're, instructing non-professional writers. And so what we give you is not, we're not we don't care to put you down to bring ourselves up. All we want to do is improve what you've got there. And so we have no agenda other than making you a better writer. And if you can, if you can find things like that, that's going to be beyond value to you. But if you if you're gonna be you know, you gotta watch out for getting into workshops where uh the other members just wanna put you down because you might be better than them and they're gonna try to find any way to put you down. I mean and 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 writers are just as venal as other people. I mean sometimes they're very supportive, but there's always somebody there who uh wants to hammer you down because my god, you know, you've written something that they couldn't do. But writing every day is is the most important thing. And shutting off other other thoughts is it, it, it can be tough. But I mean if you're a writer and you're a part time writer, you got a day job and you're and you have limited writing time, I mean don't spend your time in the car, you know, listening to music or with your iPod, you know, earbuds in your ears. But shut all that stuff off. Start thinking about what you're going to be writing when you finally do get to the keyboard. And when you do that, man, it's going to fly out of you. And you'll make the most of that type of, uh, of, of your time. But I mean, these people, I mean, I, I, I look around, I see people that are constantly being entertained. They gotta have a radio on. They gotta have their iPod. They gotta have this and that. But you know, if you're going to be a writer, you're going to be wanting to entertain people. So you've got to shut off those other voices and have your own in your head and figure all this stuff out. Uh, uh, so turn off turn off the outside world and just listen to yourself. Uh, any plans of doing another uh, freak show collection? No. I'm not. <laughs> that was a good answer. <laughs> I, I was vacillating there. Um, no, I'm never going to do another anthology. Okay. Um, I, uh, but I am, I have taken all my freak show, um, the interstitial material from freak show, and I put it all together, and then I expanded it to, to another 50% of what it started with, and it's going to be coming out from a small press very soon. I, you know, uh, the small press and I have kept this under wraps until it's ready. For pre-order, and we—I think we just 
the the editor publisher is I think he has an obsessive compulsive disorder because he has found every possible error in the manuscript and every possible error has been corrected. So when this comes out it will be, you know, freaking perfect. So and then he can get back on his medications and <laughs> Uh, is there anything you want to uh, tell your readers out there? Uh, nothing. I mean, the thing is, if, if you go to the website and you get in the newsletter, right? You know, I, hear I know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, um, or you can go to the web, you go to the website and the news page, and you know everything. Everything you, you'd ever, there's more than you ever want to know there from the, the FAQ downloads and the bibliography downloads and all those kind of stuff. So, uh, what can I say? I mean, just, you know, buy my books. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, that's a good message for everybody out there. Buy the man's right. books. All right. <laughs> well, we, we uh, really appreciate you coming on tonight. It was fun. You, it was a good interview and uh, some interesting questions that you know, haven't been uh, thrown at me for a while. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. Okay, my pleasure. Yeah, you keep here for one second. This is Benny Chapman, the creature from the Black Lagoon. Without your head, dot com. Mesdames et messieurs, nous avons l'honneur ce soir de vous présenter la nouvelle collection de Rammstein.
Really good interview. Mm-hmm. That was most cool. Get those happy with it in the, in the chat room and the messenger and all, and all that uh, all the technical jargon. <laughs> a little uh, a little nervous whenever uh, Goosey called in with uh, and said the keep was the worst movie ever. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it was like, oh no. Oh uh, yeah. For a minute, I was like, uh oh. I, I hope he agrees here, or else. Uh, and he I'm agrees. not going to be too happy. Yeah, he agrees. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not the way you want to start out an interview. You normally right. want to. You normally don't want to start out saying, "You know, this uh, this movie they made off of your work. It was a piece of crap." <laughs> well, I loved it. So. <laughs> Talk to you later. Like, oh, you make a movie, Goosey. See how good it is. <laughs> No, that was a good question. So um, I think it turned out for a good segment there. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I just want to remind everybody too at uh, withoutyourhead.com. If you guys want to leave some uh, questions for us to uh, to uh, answer here on the show, you can do that on the forums. Mm-hmm. Uh, questions from all over. There we go. Right, right. We haven't done that for a while. Maybe we can do that on the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, we might be, uh, do we have any right now, or? <coughs> yeah, why don't you and, uh, Troy talk amongst yourselves, and I'll, uh, bring them up. Mm. So, how you been, bro? Oh, I'm doing, uh, fantastic, let me tell you. That's what I like to hear. Has Neil decided on having, like, a joint appreciation night on? No, oh, I hope not, really. <laughs> you know, like, when you're going to, uh, you know, when you're going to, like, uh, you know, a restaurant or something or another, and then it's like, they want, everybody wants to sing happy birthday to you because it's your oh, birthday. That's the word. Yeah, so, I kind of, I kind of quibble. <laughs> I kind of put it in that category. I know it's something he tried to do to, but Be anyway. nice, and then, and every time I'm nice, and just, uh. I met with um, anger. <laughs> <laughs> anger at hostility. <laughs> you son of a <laughs> so, so you're telling me, like, if, if if they take me out, if, if Neil takes me out for, like, my 40th. Mm-hmm. You're going to be 40? 
I know, isn't that freezing? Oh, man. man. An old man. And, like, we go to Red Robin or something. Red Robin's good, though, I guess. Yeah, mm-hmm. too, yeah. I like that. But the, the big, goofy guy in the Red Robin suit, if he comes over and he's like, <laughs> got, a, got a group of, like, kitchen workers and, and you know, mongoloids with them, <laughs> I should worry. They're going to start singing to me. <laughs> Were, weren't we yeah. there for your, for your birthday last time, or was it mine? Yeah, yeah, we was. We oh, man. And I, I tried to get that guy. I was in a, he was over there singing happy birthday to, like, this uh, to this kid. And I was I was going to try to get him to come over and sing happy birthday to Troy, but uh, he was down with it. I paid him 40 bucks not to. All right. <laughs> uh, we should get a, a Goosey, I believe, is back on the line. Yeah. You care to uh, <laughs> explain your uh, line of questioning there, young man? <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say not to get a little wrestling related, but why don't you just take uh, Troy to Abby's House of Rins for his 40th birthday? That was a little, yeah, I'd, I'd be up for it, but it's a little f- far away here from us. He's good. I just want to say good interview, guys. Oh, thanks, man. Thanks for calling, dude. Yeah, that guy was, uh, knew a lot, man. I was, like, shocked that he was on for so long, dude. Yeah, check out repairmanjack.com. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I just I called in. Paul, oh. Go ahead, sorry. I don't think that's Paul Wilson sleep. I really? Think he just stopped sleeping. Yeah, dude. Well, if you look on his newsletter, he has 8 million things going on. He's got a new book coming out, like, every other month. The poor guy, like, and then he was saying he was teaching the classes and stuff. The dude needs a vacation. <laughs> I don't think he does sleep because he sounded like a real zombie, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, you're not redeeming yourself here. I know, man. He just said, you're a zombie? zombie? Yeah, there you go. Uh, I'm sure, like, in his next novel, there's going to be a character named Goosey that gets murdered viciously. <laughs> he gets He just gets, he just gets uh, ripped to shreds. Or ran over by, like, a truck or something. I think that's too good for you, man. That's all I'll be, probably that'll be die. that Michael Mann guy. He's the one that's going to be, like, you know, drawn and quartered. In the <laughs> that's all I'll probably die. end up getting ran over on a truck, and the driver will be, like, Denzel Washington. That would probably be, like, the funnest thing about being an author to myself, is just, like, writing in characters of people that you just hate. <laughs> and then <laughs> killing them. That'd be a good release, though, I think. You know, a good release. Mm-hmm. Right. How how would you kill? Um, I won't tell who who would you want to kill because it might be someone listening to the show. I'm not sure. But how would how would you kill them off there, uh, John? Anybody who's listening to this show, I probably would not add you in there. Right. Most of you are pretty safe. Um, I know uh, John wants to kill me. No, 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 no. I was just joking, really. That's just kind of right. Uh, I don't know. I probably had to think about it for a while because right. this isn't something I'd want to just jump out and say. You know, you know, I, I thought maybe something that you thought about, like uh, you know, at night while you're laying in bed. You know, how would I kill that guy? How would I kill <laughs> that eel? No, I most of the time a chance. Cheeseburger. With my own bare hands. I don't know. There's kind of somebody on the forums. I won't mention his name, but I'd like to kill. Oh man. I don't know. Death is kind of permanent. It's kind of hard to say you're sorry. Yeah. <laughs> maybe like, uh, maybe come a noogie? Yeah, something like that. Be right. Or like a, a Texas titty twister? Yeah, something like 
No, I think Alan's a Texas, Texas titty twister. Too. <laughs> yeah, John actually gave me one of those when we were. I was a victim of, of one of John's uh, titty twisters as well. Purple miracles are worse. Man. Yeah, this is um, kind of kinky. But uh, yeah. thanks for calling like the We're gonna we're gonna go over a couple of questions here. Thanks for calling All in, right. man. Yeah. All right. We got the uh, the cauldron questions here. We got um. This is from Ryron. Uh, Leatherface and, and family from Texas Chainsaw Massacre versus the firefight. Did they ever name the, uh, what is the name of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family? No, is Sawyer? Is it Sawyer? It could be. Well, anyway, if they were uh, versus the Firefly family from House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil's Rejects in a ghost town, who would win? Hmm. Like a showdown. This is this is interesting because this this isn't just like uh, Leatherface versus like uh, Captain Spaulding. This is actually like a, a family feud. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, if it was the um, if it was the uh, Bill Mosley character, uh, oh yeah, this they, is strange because yeah. he could actually be against himself. Oh, <laughs> well, if it was the sequel, he should have specified. You know, right. he wasn't in the first one. So, I'm not sure if it was the Bill Mosley character, uh, Sherry's character, and I don't know, it's like, I think like of Leatherface, and he's like the powerhouse, and the only one that I could see like combating him on the other team would be, uh, uh, the big guy, what's his name? Tiny. Tiny, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, I think, uh, uh... You know, and there's not like the, those hard hitters on the uh, on the Leatherface side. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I mean that Bill Mosley. You know, he'd be his character would be pretty. Uh, they pretty, pretty much pretty rely on Leatherface. That's what yeah. you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Leatherface would be their main he's... character. I think because yeah. like, the guy's picking. He's picking like a scalp off and eating it with with a you know with a with a heated up um, a coat hanger. It's not really like he's going to be kicking it. Kicking it. You're like stuck that. on the second one there. Uh, <laughs> I have to specify between Chop Top right, and well, Bill Mosley. Okay, uh, the fir- first what was uh, Bill Mosley's character's name in uh, in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses? Was it? Um, oh well, man, I don't know. But he's one of me, dudes. You're messing me up. And, uh, I, I think the other guy is still like the the Firefly family. They got all the firepower, man. They like their guns and stuff. Oh yeah, that's true. They got the guns. The uh, but the other guys got the chainsaw. I don't know. It, I guess it would depend if it's um, if it's close counters. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre family's gonna win because he's chainsaw. If it's like in a ghost town where the other guys can actually like uh, pick him off with uh, weapons. Then yeah, yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with the firefly. Really yeah, because they they were shooting it out with the with the whole uh, the whole police force. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Texas Chainsaw family they would need some stealth. They need right. definite like you know stealth in their corner. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see here. We've got uh, some here from Dish. Uh, what are your thoughts on a remake of Battle Royal? I think it is with, with Steve Austin, isn't it? Yeah, that's what a lot of people say and say it was pretty much like a, a copy of, uh, they, they condemned as a copy of Battle Royal. 
Oh, did we lose John? I think we lost John, but uh, let's just pretend uh, he's not here. But just, just pretend with me. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't know. I, I think I think a a battle royal um, remake would be interesting. Though. I think mm-hmm. it would be good. Yeah, because that you know it would be uh, it be in English. Yeah. Which um, you know, for for me, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm some kind of racist or something, but I prefer to watch a movie that's in English. Ah, that's that's only because you haven't seen the the Seven Samurai yet. That's going to change your mind on that. All right, we'll check that out. Uh, Head Cheese wants to know: Can overuse of gore and torture actually take away from a movie instead of enhance it? I think so. I think that's a definite. Mm-hmm. I think that you know, if you just start throwing blood everywhere, where you know there's really no reason for it, you know. Yeah, that's kind of like one of my main gripes about uh. Horror movies is like a lot of them. They tend to focus too much on the gore, and uh, it just really—I don't know. It just doesn't sit well with me. It's like I'm not a gore fan. I'm more of a horror story fan, you know. Mm-hmm. And it seems like some of the movies are only agenda is out just to do the special effects. And See, I think I think actually cool effects can add to a movie. I don't I don't want to say one way or the other. I think like. Um, Dawn of the Dead, even though the, you still have to have the story, but I think if you have the cool effects, it can actually enhance the movie if it has a good story. Mm-hmm. But you can't just make a movie slowly off uh, off gore effects if it's got no story. They can't they can't be used instead of the stories. I'm saying, but they can be used to to enhance a movie. I think I don't think Dawn of the Dead without a lot of the cool zombie effects would have would have been as good. Yeah, but you wouldn't need it like if they would have done it in a movie like let's say um, Psycho. Mm-hmm. If there was just like these crazy dismemberment scenes and stuff for, for no reason. Oh, definitely right. Yeah, I, I think, think it really depends on the movie. Yeah. It would depend, but but I do think some is like um, you know if it's just it's a score for the sake of gore, then then yeah, I mean it could take away from the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, we should have a caller here. Who is this? Still, uh, it's not in your hand. It's not in your hand. All right, man. <laughs> keep away from, I'm going to keep away from wrestling at references. But all right. All right. Uh, all right, man. Well, it's, um, we've got L. Otis fan here. Uh, one of our people here in our chat room, as moral, has uh, helped us out. It was Otis, who was uh, the Bill Mosley character. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was his name. Mm-hmm. Was, was that Otis? Otis. And, uh... I don't know if it's a he or she. I'm sorry, as moral, but they also saying that uh, they believe that the Descent was the best horror movie to come out in a long time. Oh, I love where was it, where was where was Otis in what in which movie? Otis, Otis in uh, House of a Thousand Corpses and Devil Rejects. Just investigate that. So uh, <laughs> what the hell? Oh, <laughs> you so get on that. Did, did, did you have a question, or did you just want to call into? Uh, oh, you? I have a, I have a question uh, about uh, the condemned. Uh, you were talking about that. Uh, right. Before, uh, before I called, mm-hmm. um, yeah, many people said that it was kind of um, a copy or rip off of Manhunt uh, or and Battle Royal. Battle Royal, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you, th- you thought it that way? Uh, I don't know if you watched the movie, but uh, do you thought that was um, 
pretty much a rip-off. There was no originality or creativeness on Mm. on the creation of the movie. I haven't seen the film myself, but, like, I've actually heard a lot of people kind of pretty much sum it up as a, as, like, the running man kind of, like, a rip-off of it, in a way. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. Um... They're both similar in a way. I mean, you know, everything's uh, everything borrows from everything else in a way. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of sense. I don't know if you could just straight up call it a ripoff because it's not the exact same movie. You know, I mean, same similar stories, yeah. But mm-hmm. I know that Roger Ebert, um, his review of the movie, I haven't seen it either. And you know, I don't disagree with Roger Ebert. But anyway, Roger mm-hmm. Ebert said that it was actually a really good movie up until the last 15 minutes. And then he said the last 15 minutes was pretty much a, a rip-off of um, the Battle Royal. Hmm. Yeah. Many sites gave it an awful review. They gave it like uh, from 0 to 100%, which is a review of some websites. Uh, there is a, there's a website that gave it 13%, one three. Mm-hmm. That's low. I haven't watched. It's going. It's going to uh, to be here in Portugal in a couple of months. So I'll mm-hmm. I'll, I'll wait to see it with subtitles, which is I great. Think, for I me. think it looks interesting, though. I think I think it might be a good movie. I thought, yeah, I think it was good. Do you prefer yeah. having uh, subtitles on the movie? Yeah, because uh, I talk English. I understand English, but sometimes uh, there is there are some kind of some words that escape me. So mm. It's kind of like right. It plus plus the. Uh, the um, different dialects, the different. Um, yeah. right. I watch. I watch first of the Simpsons, and I understand ninety-nine percent of what. Yeah, uh, without subtitles, I sometimes there there are some people that uh, give me some episodes of the of the Simpsons in a CD-ROM, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. and and there there's no subtitles in it, so I have to watch it without it. Um, but I understand pretty much everything, but sometimes it's I like to have subtitles to fully understand what's. Yeah, yeah. Are you ever are you ever afraid of The Simpsons? No, no. Why? <laughs> Should I? <laughs> no. How many languages do you speak? I speak Spanish. I speak Portuguese. I speak um, English as well, and I speak a little bit of Japanese. But I, oh, right. I don't, don't don't make me speak uh, Japanese a lot because I just know the basics. Yeah, I've, I've heard that people some people turn Japanese when you call in. That's true. <laughs> Not me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, thanks for calling in, man. Okay. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Adios a todos. Muchas gracias. Oh, man. I got some shit inside. Oh. All right. like the linguist without Yeah. You know what I saw advertised the other day was, uh, I remember we talked about this on the show the other day, uh, the other week, was um, Lake Placid. They actually made a sequel to Lake Placid. It's made for a USA. Oh, really? Sci-Fi Channel, I believe. Oh, have any of you guys ever watched any of those made-for-sci-fi movies? I mean, they, they make quite a few, and some of them are pretty big, like, uh, well, they're sequels to, like, fairly big movies. Like, they've had a couple reanimator ones yep. made for sci-fi, and I like that the uh, Lake Placid yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> reanimator? That's so good. Uh, what do you mean, reanimator? I thought, you, I thought all the reanimators was pretty much made for, uh, just like, I thought the last one, Beyond Reanimator, was made for just basically, uh, Straight to DVD use. I think it was uh, made, wasn't it made for sci-fi? And then it was yeah. put out in DVD, but the DVD one was uh, uncut. Oh, okay. Well, I think I think that's what they did with most of the movies. Like they, they have them. I don't know if they're planning on releasing them theatrically, and then they don't, and so sci-fi like picks them up before they put them out on DVD. Mm-hmm. So that's what they did with the man thing as well. 
I quite enjoyed Beyond Reanimator, though. I might be. I did too. I thought that that one, you know, the first one's definitely best, but I thought Beyond Reanimator was uh, good too. Hmm. Yeah. Um, was well, a, the, the man thing was pretty bad. Did you see it? No. It was it wasn't very good. Yeah, I mean, I guess I've heard that the, they you know they put out a couple I think of um, Pumpkinhead and I've heard that they weren't good. Yeah, I didn't I didn't enjoy the one I I only saw one that on there, which must have been what the third one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think they put out two fairly close apart. Like one went to one to a DVD and then like another one went right to uh, uh, right to sci-fi. I think they also did that with, um, oh, The Return of the Living Dead. They had, uh... Yeah, well, I think they actually made both of those at the same time, part four and five. And, uh, but they, like, two different people made them. They had, like, nothing to do with each other. And they released, I think one was released, like, last year. The other one was just released, like, a couple weeks ago on DVD. Mm-hmm. And I had heard that the, the second one, I think it was, like, The Rave of the Dead was good, and the other one what wasn't good. And I just got to say they're both really terrible. Well, really. <laughs> I could see the director of those films listening to this and thinking, oh, man, here it comes, here it comes. <laughs> what? <laughs> really terrible. They were, though. I mean, I, I'm a big fan of the. I'm not like a huge fan, but I really do enjoy the first one. And the second one's pretty much just, it's just uh, the same movie. It is. It's exactly the same. Yeah, and they even play on that in the movie. Like they'll say, I think we've been doing this before or something. There's even the same characters, but they're playing different people or something. Mm-hmm. But um, then the third one was all serious, and just like the fourth and the fifth one were just bad. <laughs> now I will say that I enjoy the uh, second one pretty well, but I'm uh-huh. not. I'm not uh, third one, not. I mean, it's all right. Um, it's strange because it's so different. It's it's more yeah, like, it's, it's strange. Kind of a straight you, up horror you, movie. Yeah, you, you figured you'd have like you know more of a. You know, um, a big zombie outbreak and all that, but you, know, you don't mm-hmm. really get that. There are, there are a lot of fans of that film, though. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kind of surprised how many like like that more than like the other yeah. two. Yeah, I know Ron Hex. Um, I believe that's his favorite of uh, of all all of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, the third one. Yeah. 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 A lot of people in our chat room here are just going crazy over Betty White and saying that she was just fantastic in Lake Placid. Oh, she ruled in that movie. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Hmm. I wonder if they got her back for the, the sci-fi one. I don't believe so. I, I think it was, oh. by the looks of sci-fi one, it's really heavy on the CGI. Oh, really? Yes. That's how most of their movies are, I've noticed. Like, you know, they they trying to do ones with, and it seems like they use the same plot over and over and over again. <laughs> They just observe like it one is a basilisk and another one is giant buzz. <laughs> right. And, you know. Yeah, just a, the, the random monster of the week, basically. Yeah. Yep. You know, um, I went back and watched a lot of this when we had uh, Dean Cundy on. I went back and watched a lot of stuff and watched Jurassic Park and like the making of Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. and that stuff still holds up so well. And I'm, you know, it was like really the first movie to do all that stuff. And after that, I guess it, you know, it's become cheaper and cheaper to put CGI in a movie. But it's also become like uh it's just like a crutch for movies. Okay. Basically just put in CGI and anything. Yeah, I I'd actually like if if you got big bugs in your movie, like let's say you know, you're trying to remake them or something, I think I'd rather have like like a big fake bug, like a big fake ant, like made of plastic. Mhm. 
than like CGI things that like when they're running they don't cast a shadow or they don't quite match up with they're running upstairs like mm-hmm. you know yeah, it just it looks good. perhaps like the joints or something in the in the in the the structure itself, you know, like something to tie in, something that looks like the goofier aspects about it, you know. But exactly. I almost See, think that it's cheaper to do awesome. everything with CG than it is, like, to just make everything. And that's mm-hmm. the reason they use it so much nowadays. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm not really one for it, so. No, and I don't really hate it. It's just, I think, that the overuse of it and not really making it where, you know, like Jurassic Park, they kept, and if you watch the, um, you obviously not read movies and have the, the bunch of Jurassic Park, but they made sure that everything looked seamless. You know, they didn't want anything to look like it was an actual, like a cartoon or something. And a lot of stuff now, I mean, they'll overuse it. They'll just put so much so much CGI in a movie. And it's, I don't know, it's just to me it takes away from the movie. We got uh, Raul Duke here. Hey, what's up, guys? Hey, man, how's it going? Not bad, not bad. Thoroughly enjoying the show. Oh, thank you. I appreciate uh, it. Thanks for the interview. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I actually just wanted to ask you a question. Um, you would have been asked like a versus question, like, who would win in a battle. Um, mm-hmm. But I want to know who would you think would win between in, in like a fight between Horace Pinker from Shocker or Azazel from Fallen? Hmm. Hmm. Which one was the second one? Uh, Azazel from Fallen with Denzel Washington, you know, like he's like a demon and he's jumping up. Oh, okay. Right, I see that, yeah. Hmm. I, think, I, think, I think the demon's going to win on that one because he can jump into anybody in that one, right? Right. Yeah, I think a demon probably is going to have more power over, over a guy that's in like a TV. Hmm. I don't know. <laughs> Shocker's pretty cool. He's a oh, yeah, boy. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going with Shocker. I, I'm really not too familiar with uh, the uh, the Fallen movie to really give oh, you yeah an accurate answer to it. But like uh, I am familiar with Shocker. So John Goodman's in in, uh, in Fallen. Uh, so El Santo here in our chat room. He wants to know what uh, what we think about the 28 weeks later uh, sequel to uh, 28 Days Later. I'm looking forward to that. I'm definitely definitely mm-hmm. looking forward to that. I enjoyed the first one quite well. I thought uh, I thought it was a pretty good film all in all. I think uh, the next one will be interesting to see. But uh, one of Danny Boyd's uh, films I that, I, he, that I saw yeah, that, that was uh, pretty excellent. I've been thinking about it these last couple of weeks as this new one's coming out. Shallow Grave. I don't think everybody's seen that film. That's a good one to check out, though. No, I haven't seen that one. I'm a big fan of... Um, of train of train spotting, mm-hmm. and I'm actually not a big fan of Twenty Eight Days Later. Oh yeah, no. no. Oh, I love that movie. I thought it was good, like the first hour. I think it really went downhill once they went to the um, they went to the army base. Oh. oh no, I'm, I'm not really of the. I'm sorry, I'm not really of the same opinion though. What were you saying, Troy? Oh, I, I said I enjoyed that entire movie. I just, because uh, I loved, um, I don't know the actor's name. He was the guy that played the new Doctor Who on, on sci-fi. Christopher Eccleston? Is that him? Yeah. He, he was the guy that was like the uh, the army sergeant or captain mm-hmm. or whatever he was. Yeah, he was also in Shelley Grace. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, he's in that too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he has a good part in that. He, it's oh. I can't. I don't really want to explain it to you. It's something to behold for yourself. Okay, I'll have to. I'll, I'm going to Netflix after I get off. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. to eBay to get the um, the keep game. I gotta mm-hmm. look for that one, and now then I'll I'll head on over uh, to Netflix. Yeah, speaking of Netflix, I did just get a couple horror movies in the mail the last couple of days. Got the the Hitcher, the remake of the Hitcher, mm-hmm. and um. Uh, let uh, uh, let sleeping corpses lie. Yeah, uh-huh. I yeah, haven't watched it yet. Oh, you probably like uh, let sleeping corpses lie. It's, uh, it's a pretty good little uh, zombie flick. Yeah, I mean it was recommended to me by John, so that's why I uh, get it. I recommended that one to you. I don't remember. Yeah, huh. yeah. Actually, the person that recommended that, that to me was a guy on a message board a long time ago on uh, uh, Fangoria. His okay. name was Uncle Creepy. He was the administrator of that uh, board at the time. I don't think he mm-hmm. is anymore. But, oh, man. Poor Uncle Creepy. I used to post there quite often back in the day. Yeah. i got to say my problem with um, 28 Days Later is um, when they go to the Army base, to me it just seems like if it, that's like not even a month later. And these guys are like, it seems like that should have been like years later that these guys were, had like, uh, I don't know, have gone so crazy. Well, I think that's kind of the reason that they made the zombies run in that film, where they infected people that are, like, so quick that they infected everybody so f- quickly. I, I don't mean the zombies. I mean the, the actual living people. The, yeah. the, the army men. I think they were just, to me, it was kind of far-fetched that they had gone, have just, like, lost their mind so much, like, in so short of a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but at that point, like, all hope was pretty much lost. They They thought it was all over. Uh, to me, that movie really lost a lot when they went there. Hmm. That's one we're going to have to disagree on. All right. Well, um, just just because you're talking about it, the guy that directed the first one, Danny Boyle, apparently he's like so happy with the with the sequel. Like he's like he's so happy about like, how it turned out. He wants to, like if they make a third one, he wants to direct it. That's cool. So uh, he did not direct the the sequel then. Um, well, apparently he did, like, some second camera work, and I think he might have been, like, an executive producer or something. He, I mean, he was involved with the, redu- the, the production, but he, he didn't direct it, no. Hmm. The guy that directed it, I, I don't know what his name is, I think he's, like, a, an English commercial director or something. I think they'll do uh, 28 months later, or maybe 28 years later. <laughs> I think that'd be, like, a little bit too far-fledged. <laughs> or, like, the way things are going, they might do 28 seconds later and do a prequel. That'd be awesome. 28, 28 days before. Yeah, when they were practicing on the monkey, you could see the monkey attack other monkeys and stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. I just thought they were thinking about doing a third um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, you know, of, of the new ones. I'm not sure how they would do it. Would, it, would, they, if they, would it be a sequel of the prequel, which would still make it a, a prequel of, of the first one, of the remake? Or would they make it... A sequel of uh, off of the original one. Leatherface would have one arm. That's what, uh, what that one's about. Yeah, I love the fact that they pretty much shot themselves in the foot with that, and they, and they can't like make the sequel because they they're too like silly to not cut right. off his arm. Cut off his arm and kill off uh kill off. Well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, it's kind of like what they did in in like the the um the Hannibal movie. 
know, when he cut off his hand, and uh, right, you know, he kind of, you know, you got a one-handed dude as you kill him. I could see him as one hand, but it's kind of hard to see uh, people on the face going with one arm. When Chucky had his, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 he could have a custom chainsaw. No, he could just stick it on his arm. Yeah, we can. <laughs> I'm pretty sure people be in an outrage about that. <laughs> but uh, when Chucky had his uh, hand ripped off in the, in the sequel to uh, Child's Play, and then he attached a knife to the end, was that an upgrade or a downgrade? Um, upgrade like for proficiency, I would think. Well, when what was that? What was that again? Sorry. He, ripped, he gets his hand ripped off and, and because he gets caught in the door at the ending, right. the ending sequence. And then he sticks his uh, arm, he sticks a knife into his right. arm, and then he like kind of like molds it together so he has like a knife arm. Yeah. I think it's uh, good for the end of a movie. I don't think you could do a whole movie with him like that. Cause, <laughs> I mean, to me, he's not really a doll then. He's just he's some kind of weird killing machine. But, uh... You know, originally he's got to be a doll, I think. Kind of reminded me of Puppet Master when he did that. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah, that's right. That That is true. I I do like some of the the early Puppet Master movies. The later mm-hmm. ones get really bad. I like the guy, who is the, um, the gunfighter uh, doll? It's like the Six Arms, Six yeah. Shooter. That guy rules. Yeah, he's in some of the later ones. Hmm. Uh, as Moral saying, we could always have Texas Chainsaw in space. <laughs> or in the hood. That's always the uh, that's always the answer to anything. Whenever a movie sequel gets stale, is just blast the character to space. Could they, could they ever? Could they ever like? Because um, most most of these killers are kind, of, except for like Michael Myers, isn't? But a lot of them are kind of like uh, hillbillies, or like crazy loons living out in the woods or whatever. You know, like him and Jason. You think they could do like kind of a Beverly Hillbillies type deal and move like these killers to the city? I know they kind of did with, uh, you know, they tried to with, with when he took Manhattan, but he's only there for a couple minutes. Hmm. What could they have Paul Wilson to have like a group from like the Pine Barrens like that going out? Yeah, that that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking instead of um instead of going into outer space. We should start to like have have some of them like go subterranean, go underground. Yeah, we could have them like fight the mole people, mm-hmm. or you know. <laughs> Sounds a lot like Predator vs. Alien to me. <laughs> go to us, they can go to Antarctica, the Pellucidar or something. You know, you can go underground. I think they're actually making another one of those too, aren't they? Predator vs. Alien. I think so. I think I heard something about it, but uh, hopefully it's a lot better than. Can they have it on a spaceship at least this time, not a freaking underground Egyptian thing? <laughs> All right, you're right. Underground doesn't work, does it? No. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, that might work in your case. I mean, but, you know, you think Predator versus Alien, you either think spaceship or maybe, like, oh, somewhere yeah. on Earth, you know, which it was on Earth, but it was underground in an Egyptian tunnel thing. Right. Which everyone's very familiar with, you know. Yeah, the likeness to the characters, it's... It's on <laughs> <laughs> But anyhow. Uh, anyway, uh, Raul, do you have anything else, man? 
Um, no, I've just uh, continued, like, I've been enjoying the show, you know, thanks for letting me call in, and, uh, and that's about it. Alright, man, thanks call me, Alright, take care. Yeah. I think we'll wrap this one up, man. Yeah, with that, I think we'll probably end up the show, and, uh, right. Sorry for uh, keeping here a little late. Yeah, we went a little after hours here, you know. Yeah. Without your head after hours. Well, I, I didn't know, I didn't know, um... Paul was going to go, like, you know, he went like an hour, didn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good stuff. Yeah, we appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah definitely. It seemed like a really good day, too. I'll yeah. All righty, everybody, for next week or uh, the week after. Let's see. I don't know. Are we going to do one next week? Is there anybody booked? Uh, we don't have no guest book, but um, anytime you want to do one, just uh, go with me if you just want to come on and talk about something. And we can talk about um, the host. Well, we'll see. It, it might be in the works. I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, we'll talk to you all later. Uh, down the line, where before uh, Halloween comes out, we will have a Sherry Moon on the program. Oh, that'll be sweet. Excellent. All right. Talk to you all. Thanks for calling in. <laughs> I'm, I'm not endorsing this. He's not. A.K.A. E.J. Curcio from the uh, infamous Hard Rock Bums, saying, I love WithoutYourHead.com. Hey, you Tom, it's Bob from the office down the hall. Good to see you, buddy. How have you been? Things have been okay for me, except that I'm a zombie now. I really wish you'd let us in.
wrap it up No, we'll get to common ground somehow Meanwhile, I'll report back to my colleagues Who were chewing on the doors I guess we'll table this for now I'm glad to see you take constructive criticism well Thank you for your time, I know we're all busy as hell And we'll put this thing to bed When I bash your head open We're not unreasonable, I mean no one's gonna eat your eyes Open up the doors We'll all come inside and